You're listening to the Sunday Session Podcast with Francesca Rudkin from Newstalk ZB. You're with the Sunday Session. It is 14 past nine. Now, statistics released this week showed that New Zealand's fertility rate continues to fall with last year marking the lowest fertility rate on record, 1.56. The average across OECD countries is 1.59, and here in New Zealand, the country's fertility rate has been below the replacement rate of 2.1 since 2013. New Zealand is not an outlier. Failing fertility, falling fertility rates have become the norm in most developed countries. Joining me now to discuss this is Distinguished Professor Professor Emeritus at Massey University, Paul Spoonley. Thanks for your time this morning, Paul. Nice to talk to you. Good morning, Francesca. Hey, uh, what does the term fertility rate actually refer to? It means the number of births per woman. So as you said, 2.1 is replacement level, and um, we're down at, as you say, again, 1.56. Why might we have been seeing a decline? The two main reasons are the increase in educational qualifications of women and girls and the participation of women in the, in the labour force. So... Here in New Zealand in 2024, in terms of uh, people in paid work, it's 50-50, male-female. And then the other two, uh, one that's coming up, that's come up very fast is the uh, cost of having children. And then the fourth one would be environmental reasons. You don't want to contribute to population growth. Not bad reasons, are they, Paul? (laughs) (laughs) No, they're not. No, they're not. And, and, And what's interesting internationally is that um, right around the high-income world, but also places like China. So China actually dropped by 2 million last year, the population, because of this declining fertility. So we're increasingly talking about depopulation, which is population decline, as a result of fertility decline. This isn't a surprise, especially to you, because I know we've been talking about this and you've been talking about this for years. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so how long have how long have you been following this 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 decline, well, or have anticipated it? Well, what was interesting is that that it really began to occur internationally during the global financial crisis, two thousand eight, two thousand and twelve, and of course, COVID. Many thought that COVID might see a bit of a spike in births, but as we have emerged from COVID or the the, the crisis period of COVID, uh, that has not occurred. And we're beginning to, internationally, we've been beginning to really anticipate what happens in the rest of the century. And so a couple of years ago, the United Nations brought out a very interesting report that identified 23 nations that would see their population halving over the next 80 years. So that that sort of is a bit of a game changer. And and it might not occur. I mean, population forecasting is is a... it's a bit of an art at the best of times, but um, certainly we are now beginning to talk about depopulation. If I could just finish by saying that when I started demography and the um, studying demography in the 70s and 80s, uh, we were very influenced by Paul Ehrlich's The Population Bomb, which suggested that population growth uh, was such that the uh, earth, particularly the um, provision of food, would not be able to sustain an increased population of the sort that Paul Ehrlich anticipated. Now we've completely flipped that around. 
Okay, so let's talk about the the benefits then and and, the pros and cons of this declining um, fertility rate. Uh, Obviously, if it was just happening in New Zealand, you could then rely on, uh, um, you you know, migration to sort of help fill gaps that may be needed. But of course, if we're all all struggling with our fertility rates, then we're going to run into a few problems, aren't we, when it comes to having an older uh, population and not enough workers and things. So maybe, maybe start with the cons of a low fertility rate and then we'll move on to the pros. Well, the, the big con is that we're going to see fewer, fewer people in our educational system and then ultimately in our workforce. So the Ministry of Education say in the next 10 years there'll be 30,000 fewer students in our primary and secondary education system. That's substantial, so isn't it? It is huge. It is huge. And, and can I just go back? So in the 1960s, when we had a population of about 2.5 million, we would see about 66,000 births per year. We've got a population of 5.3 million and our births per year are about 57, 58,000. So um, what you're seeing is a shift in terms of the structure of our population and quite soon a quarter of us will be aged over 65. So they will see people exiting, that, that those older people will exit the workforce and we'll have fewer entering our school system and then our workforce. So the question is always, where do we get our workers from? I think there's another dimension which we really haven't thought of in New Zealand, but when you look at our immigration stats for the last year, the three big source countries are India, the Philippines, and China. And China has moved into a period of experiencing a um, demographic deficit. Their their um, fertility rate is down at around one child per woman. So they're going to face real strong demographic headwinds in the next few decades. And I don't think China will allow, because it's a control and command economy, allow its best and brightest to migrate to New Zealand. And it also has implications for China as a trading partner. So I think we need to think about the cons being domestically, how we, where we get our workforce from, but we also need to think about what of other countries are experiencing depopulation. What does that mean for New Zealand, both in terms of migration but also in terms of trade? And when we look at the, the pros, is it is it just sort of what you, you spoke about before, a little less pressure on the planet? Yes, the, the, the big environmental issue is pressure on the planet. But remember that while the high-income world in countries like China are seeing major uh, uh, fertility decline, Sub-Saharan Africa is going gangbusters in terms of the um, fertility increase. So what we'll see over the next um, decades is that population growth will continue to occur in parts of the world, but not in others. And by the way, that UN report that I uh, mentioned before suggests that by 2100, the end of the century, um, it's possible that Nigeria might be the same size as China. So China will reduce in size, Nigeria will grow. So we still have an issue around environment. Um, I guess the... the, the, the um, the, uh, what, what we need to do, I think, is think about how we generate income and where we spend our tax dollars, whether that's a local authority and rates or whether it's the, a national uh, government and, and, and uh, what we spend there. So 
one of the things we would talk about is the dependency ratio, mm. which is the number of people in work compared to those on superannuation. And that will, in my lifetime, go from four in work to one to two to one. So suddenly um, a lot of things that we would take for granted no longer exist in terms of generating, let's say, personal income tax that would allow you to spend significantly on education or um, benefits or um, job, um, you know, increasing the number of jobs. So mm. all of that becomes an issue. And I think you can see that with the current government. They, they are trying to balance all of those all of those uh, competing uh, pressures. Paul, you mentioned some of the challenges countries like China and Singapore are having in, in South Korea. They've put in some pro-natal policies in place, like yes. tax advantages or better welfare benefits for women who have more than one child. Would this be something yes. we should consider here? Well, I think it should be, because I mentioned before the cost of having children, and there was something called the baby calculator. And the baby calculator... Um, provided a figure of 285000 both in direct and indirect costs, to bring a child up to the age of 18 in New Zealand. Um, that's not, you know, you, the parents don't necessarily spend that much, but it's a, it's a combination of factors. And one of the things that is happening is that females in particular who are qualified and have got a good job are thinking, can I actually afford to come out of the workforce to have children? And so one of the things that's very obvious in New Zealand is having children is not cost neutral, whereas in the Scandinavian countries it is. So you don't suffer from a lack of um, promotion opportunities. It doesn't cost you to have children. It doesn't cost you to come out of the workforce and then go back into it because, you know, childcare and a lot of other costs are met by the, by the state. Now, we, we, don't, we don't have the tax revenue that Scandinavian countries do. So we... It's not feasible in New Zealand, but we certainly do need to um, help with the costs of having children and the costs of particularly females coming out of the workforce and then coming back into the workforce. I think, you know, I'm a judge for the diversity awards, and I think there are some excellent examples of New Zealand firms that have recognised this, but there are a lot of others that really have not adjusted to the fact that they need not only to recruit females into key positions because they've got the skills, but to retain them. And, and retention is a, a significant part of the issue here. Paul, do you know how long we've got before, you know, to, to turn this around? Well, I, I don't think we are going to turn it around. You mentioned before, I mean, China and Singapore have got to the point where they're actually telling um, girls and females in those countries they have got to have children. And you know when a government starts telling people they've got to have children, it ain't going to work. It's all so romantic, then, isn't it? No. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you know, it, it doesn't work like that. And I've mentioned before that um, Hungary in 2019 said if you have four or more children, you don't pay income tax. And, and there are a lot of measures like that. And what's interesting is that almost without exception, none of them have worked. So I think we need to accept that fertility has declined below replacement level and it will continue to decline. And there don't appear to be many options if we want to reverse that. So that, there's a certain inevitability really around fertility decline. Oh, Paul, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. That was uh, Professor Paul Spoonley there. It is 26 past nine, News Talks here, B.
For more from the Sunday session with Francesca Rudkin, listen live to News Talk ZB from 9am Sunday or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.